Um, I'm going to move this a little bit. This morning, obviously, I want to take us into that, that passage. And um, let me just say up front that I feel like, I mean, Paul uses a kind of sporting uh, illustration in the passage. And so that I'm kind of using some sporting illustrations as I communicate this talk, which will make me sound far more sporty than I actually am, okay? Um, and so, but, I, but there's also, there's really interesting, like, um, connections that can, be, that can be made that are interesting to think about. So, so don't be fooled. Um, um, let me begin with, uh, back before the, uh, there's something that, that kind of surprised me in what, what it can take sometimes, and I, maybe you've seen this at points, what it, what it can take for someone to be really great at something, okay? And this was back just before the 2012 Olympics. I was supposed to, I was organizing a bunch of large youth events at the time, and as a kind of preamble to some of those events, we had a guy come to share his faith with some youth, and he was a guy named Daniel Cutting, so this is when I, when I met him at the time. He, um, he now has 10 world records. At the time, he only had three world records, and he was trying, he had the kind of ambition and was launching out on trying to, like, make a career of doing, and all of his records are all around this, of having a career of basically being able to do tricks with a football, okay? Which is crazy if you think about it. Like if as a child, someone, if a child was like, you know what, when I grow up, I want to do tricks with a football. Like people be like, okay, keep trying. Especially then when I met him though, in his mid-20s, like he was properly making a go of it. And it's still in your mid-20s to be like, I'm going to, that's my career, you know, projection. I'm going to do tricks with the football, and yet he has very much done that, actually. And um, there was a little bit of insight. Just before, just before I met him, he had been on Italian TV, on live TV, uh, competing for a world record. Um, but, and there's something really interesting with this, that I, in talking with him over lunch, something that he shared with me. But if you rewind just a little bit, rewind like six months before that, uh, he had been on Italian TV, Again, um, so what happened is he had been on Italian TV to com compete for a world record, um, and he had broken the world record in some specific thing at that point. And then after that had happened, and this is what he was sharing with me over lunch, after that had happened, they gave him a phone call. And they said, um, would you be willing, uh, in, you know, in six months' time, would you be willing to go on live TV compete against the current world record holder in this particular trick and, and see who can win and see if one of you guys can beat the world record. And of course, what, what did he say? He said yes. And he hung up the phone and had to look up the trick because it wasn't one he had done before, okay? Now just think about that, that's bonkers. And, and the trick, specifically, if I give you an idea of what this is, doesn't even feel completely like a football trick to me, really. Because basically what you do is you need the football to roll across your shoulder blades and around your arms without kind of you touching it with your hands. And each time around counts as one revolution. But of course, to break the world record, you actually need to, instead of trying to navigate the ball and balance it, you actually need to be spinning your body the entire time while balancing this ball across your shoulder blades, across your arms again and again. Which, if you think about this, 
like it's it's just crazy. So he said that he spent six months making himself dizzy and sick and was on the floor for six months' time. Then he goes on live TV in Italy, breaks the world record, still stands this day of 69 times. Like if you think of just standing in one minute, you have to do it in one minute. So in one minute, just being able to spin 69 times and balance this ball that is therefore going across your arms and your shoulder blades the entire time, absolutely insane, right? The, the thing that I was kind of struck by with that and that connects with our passage is just the amount of effort that people will put into different things, like the amount of effort that he would put into something like that. And yet, we should be willing, able to put like our spiritual life, our spiritual growth is so much more important than tricks with a football, <laughs> right? Like, and even for many of us, we might look at things in our life where we go, where we've been ambitious and we wanted to do something. It might be a hobby or a passion or your work. And you might go, well, look, I put all that effort into that thing. And you kind of, and, but there's also, it's interesting to challenge ourselves, like, and go, what effort am I willing to put into my relationship with God? Because here's the thing I think, is that too often we treat our relationship with God like it is something that's just supposed to be provided for us. I come to church, and hopefully the person preaching provides a good sermon that will help me in my faith. And the worship team provides, and if, you know, like everything's provided instead of an attitude that says, do you know what? I'm going to use whatever I can, whatever is available to me, to grow my faith. I'm going to take responsibility for my own spiritual growth instead of trying to put it onto anyone else or anything else. That's the sort of attitude that we get here in this passage. And that's what I want to encourage in us this morning. And so look at this with our passage. Think about this. Verse 12, Paul says, I press on. Verse 13, one thing I do, there's a sense of focus. Verse 13, straining toward what is ahead. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal to win the prize. There's a very um, similar line of argument and thought uh, that you might recognize in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And so let me read a few verses from there. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 and 25. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Now there, um, I think, I hope for all of us, that sense of, hopefully a desire, hopefully we can all have a deep desire to grow in our faith, to grow in our relationship with God. And, and so then the question becomes, well, how, right? And of course, it's taking responsibility for our spiritual growth. Of course, we should be just as cunning with figuring out how to grow in our faith as we would be with anything else in life, or even maybe more so. But our passage here as well gives us some things that we can lean into that might be really helpful for us. Of course, there's a lot more that could be said. But let me just take you into three things that might be helpful for you. And you might even grab onto one of these and go, there's something I can dig into there. Okay, so let me, let me 
take us into that with our passage. And so those three things that I want to think about with you this morning are our foundation, our goal, and our means. Our foundation, our goal, and our means. And specifically what we get in our passage, but there's more that could be said. So first of all, our foundation. Paul says of himself, and I like the way he describes himself, he says, Jesus took hold of me. It's a great way of thinking of his life, right? Jesus took hold of me. I hope that many of us could say the same thing. Jesus took hold of me. And he says in in this passage, he speaks of our forgiveness when he says, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, right? To be able to forget what is behind is because we are forgiven, And finally, he says that our citizenship, he says our citizenship is in heaven. And so there's this beautiful picture running throughout the passage of the foundation that we have through Jesus, that we are a people that where Jesus has taken hold of us, where we are a people that are forgiven through Christ and we no longer, we have a different destination. Our citizenship is in heaven, like we're already citizens of heaven. All of this gives us a different foundation for how we see ourselves, how we understand ourselves in this world. Like your salvation isn't something you earn. That doesn't mean that you don't put effort into your growth as a Christian. And so the, the idea here is that something that's really helpful for us to make progress in our faith is an awareness of this foundation, this encouraging. I love how it's put in Ephesians chapter 1, that God has lavished his grace on us. Um, sometimes you see this in family situations where you have like multiple children. And as parents, this is really tricky because what you notice is that when one child's like in favor, in other words, the parents are like, wow, that, that child is really smart. All of a sudden, that becomes a child that really puts their effort into being smart. And the other child's like, or the other children are like, yeah, I'm not as smart as that. Right? Do you see what I mean? There's like a sense of, or that child's really sporty. And all of a sudden, that child then puts even more effort into being sporty than the other children might in a family sort of situation. There's a sense, we understand this, there's a sense of when we are valued, when we know it it encourages us. And what we find here is that our foundation is that we are a people that are forgiven. We are a people who already have our citizenship in heaven. And becoming more and more aware of what we are in Christ is importantly and is, is helpful for growing our faith. So that's, first of all, our foundation. Secondly, our goal. Again, it comes up in, in our passage, comes up in that First Corinthians passage, like, Our goal is that we're living for what really matters. And I would say that this sense of living for what really matters should create in us what I would call a healthy discontent. Like in many ways, like Paul talks about being content. I I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Like being able to be content in all things. But this, I think, is a healthy discontent, meaning that We shouldn't be satisfied with our Christian life. Paul wasn't satisfied with what he had already attained. Instead, he was straining toward what is ahead. And he was a legend in the Christian, in the faith. 
And so prayer to me in this sort of idea, this kind of healthy discontent, would be, Lord, wake us from apathy. Lord, wake us from apathy. Paul has the prize as his goal. He says that he presses on toward the goal, that his goal is to win the prize. He's pressing forward. And so we're tempted to focus on lesser things, on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And as it says in 1 Corinthians 9.25, we are striving for a crown that will last. And so there's something in this about knowing our goal. And I don't know if you've ever had that sort of thing, that sense, I'm sure you have in different ways, where by having a sense of your goal, something that you want to accomplish, all of a sudden, everything, your energy can line up toward that goal. You know, it might be something in your house. It might be you think you're going to reorganize a cupboard. I don't even know. Do you know what I mean? Like all of a sudden you have a goal, and then all of a sudden you have energy. Before you knew you should organize your cupboard, but now you have a goal of it being properly organized, and all of a sudden all the energy flows forward from that goal. See what I mean? The power of a goal can be very significant. In our relationship with God, we should have our goal of living for what matters, of of the prize, of the goal, to win the prize. Our citizenship is in heaven. And then finally, he says something about our means or some of, of how, what, a few things that can help this. And what he focuses on, and he gives some time to this, is both learning from others, is learning from others, but both good and bad, right? So in verse 17, Kind of a good example of others. Verse 17. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. So notice that. We've got Paul's example. For just as you have us as a model, so it's not just Paul, but it's also us, which is probably referring to the leaders of the church and people that he would travel with, like Timothy. And then he finishes that by saying, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So it's Paul it's the other leaders of the church, and it's even this wider group of people that are like them, right? And so there's something here very clearly about living, learning from the good example of others. Um, <clears throat> there's a, um, there's a, a, a well-known, famous YouTuber, and I really like some, this. I just want to share this something in this. Again, another sporty illustration. Um, but something very smart that he did when he was having some trouble, and I'll, I'll explain. So he um, is a guy named, you can watch the video on YouTube. It's very interesting. Spoiler alert, I'm going to completely give it away right now. But there you go. Um, so Casey Neistat, and he had this, he was in an accident when he was in his mid-20s. And it was a bad enough accident that his leg was shattered, and they had to replace it with metal, okay? Replace his bones with metal. And at the time, he was told that he would never run again. And he then made the, he determined in his mind at the time a goal that he had for his life. And his goal was that he would not only run again, but that he would run a marathon and he would do it in under three hours. Now, at the same time, you, you kind of think, that's one of those things that later on you could go, that was stupid, maybe not. You know, whatever, right? Um, but he very much started pushing toward that goal. And at first, he was getting times that were far long. He was able to complete a marathon, but in a far longer time than three hours. And he kept pushing and pushing and pushing. But what he was finding is, no matter how close he got, he wasn't getting there. 
And then as he was getting older, his times were getting worse and worse. And so then he was in his mid-40s. And I think at the time, I can't remember how many marathons he had done, but a crazy number of them. And now it was just getting worse and worse. And he was noticing in his 40s that it was becoming impossible. And so what do you do if you're in that sort of place and you recognize that your goal is probably becoming impossible? Like the, the, the sensible thing at that point might be to give up. It's kind of, but to him, it was a very significant goal. So I like what he did. Now, by the way, obviously, you can only do this if you've got money, but it's very clever. And see what's clever about what he did. He hired an Olympic trainer to train him, um, to, to teach him, and to run alongside him. So then after he hired this person in his races, you can see video, and there's always this person running, literally stride and stride with him the entire thing. Someone who is able to run it in under three hours, running by his side, telling him what to do, telling him how to train. Something very wise about that. And of course, his times went right back down. And he said he got in the best shape of his life, and he still didn't beat three hours. And he tried again, and he still didn't beat three hours. And he tried again, and finally, he very clearly beat three hours and achieved his goal. But now notice in that the wisdom of running alongside someone else, of learning from someone else that you know can do it. See, there's something very wise about that. See, what we get here from Paul is that we should be learning from the good example of others. That there are, that we should look for people that are good in the Christian faith at something. We should learn from them. We should emulate them. We should, right? So we can learn from the good example of others. But he also highlights that we can also learn from the failure of others. And so in verse 18, we see that Paul feels pain over those that walk away from Christ. He even says that he writes this with tears. He says that many live as the enemies of the cross of Christ. And look, look at verse 19. Notice how he describes um, these people. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And so he contrasts us as Christians with the people that he's describing here. But as well, even in many ways, the people that he's describing here, we might identify with how they're described. There might be times where we would kind of say, you know what, sometimes... My God is my stomach. Sometimes my glory is in my shame. Sometimes my mind is set on earthly things. And of course, his challenge to us is that we wouldn't be like those things, that those, wouldn't, those things wouldn't drive us because our citizenship is in heaven. And so what we see here is this beautiful picture of how we are challenged to press on in our faith. Not because we're earning our salvation in any way. No, but because we are valued and loved because of our identity in Christ gives us a sure and solid foundation. That we are challenged to press on um, because we know our goal. We know what really matters. And we're challenged to press on by looking at the good example of others, but also looking at the failure of others as ways to encourage us in our race. Um, in closing, I want to kind of just focus in on something that I think Paul does that is very clever in these passages. 
Um, but let, let me do so by describing something that is proper, that is sporty. I, I like American basketball, and I realize that might turn off most of the room because you might be like, oh, I don't watch American. But you'll get what I'm saying here, okay? Um, in American basketball, something I really like is quite often the competition brings out the best in the teams such that they play better than they would otherwise, right? And you will get these, these games where the, lead, the, the, leadership, the, the team that's in the lead changes back and forth so many times, again and again and again, and it keeps bringing the team up to a better standard and a better level of play. And when you are watching that sometimes, there's just moments sometimes where you see a team take off and it feels like they're playing on a superhuman level. And what happens is there's like this competitive mindset that somehow is letting them step up in a way that they wouldn't otherwise. So the other night, I'm watching my favorite team and my favorite player is the one that they, they basically there's like four seconds left on the clock, okay? And it's this sort of moment where they, they very much want to get the ball to Steph Curry because he's fantastic at taking ridiculous three-point shots. Um, but the, the other team knows that as well, of course. And so, cross, all the way across the court, someone is, has to whip this ball at Steph Curry. It barely misses the fingertips of one guy who's trying to, whose job is to try to stop the ball from getting to Steph Curry, okay? Meanwhile, there's another person who's launching through the air, like literally, it's just ridiculous, because if he can delay Steph Curry from taking a shot, if he can delay him, even just in, in just, just a margin of a second, then they'll, they'll have won the game. Because, they're, because my team is behind by two points, okay? So not only does Steph Curry have to lunge backwards to get this ball, he then has to spin around with a guy launching through the air at him and has to shoot a ridiculously long, awkward, three-point shot, and it goes through the hoop. Now, you can imagine that moment. I was just like, right? But what's amazing is how competition can bring out the best in people sometimes. Now, Paul here, what he does is he takes that idea of competition and how it can bring out the best sometimes in people, and he challenges us in this way in our mindset toward our spiritual growth. Not that we're like running against someone else and we're like, ha ha, I won and you lose, right? <laughs> but that we bring our best to our spiritual growth, to our faith, to our right living before God. Like the way he puts it, like in 1 Corinthians 9.24, run in such a way as to win the prize. Like thinking of that, that runner who's competing to win, all that energy and effort and whatever that they're putting into that, run in such a way as to win the prize. Or with here in Philippians, he says, I press on towards the goal to win the prize. And so may our best effort be to honor the one who has made us and has shown his love so generously to us. Let's pray.